Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the truth of this beautiful song that we have assurance of our salvation through the grace of Jesus Christ our Lord. We have assurance of our salvation not because of what we have done, for all of our works are like filthy rags. We are not able to do righteous things. Lord, we trust in your righteousness, and that you have paid the price for our sins upon the cross, and that we can hope in salvation because of your resurrection from the dead. Lord, we walk by faith this week. We believe in the work of Jesus Christ. We believe in the truth of the things that we have just sung. And we pray, Father, that you would be pleased by the worship of the people of this church as we turn our hearts towards heaven, that you would hear these songs and that you would be honored. Lord, strengthen our faith as we go into this week, as we deal with the struggles of everyday life, with different struggles borne by every person in this room. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us today and that you would strengthen our hearts, help us to understand your word, help us to believe in the, the words of Christ. And Lord, help us to live these things out together with each other here in the church. I thank you for the blessing of other brothers and sisters in Christ and the way that we encourage one another. And I pray that that would happen here today in this church, and that we would reach out to one another and we would encourage one another. Those that are new and visiting, Lord, that they would sense the presence of Christ and that they would meet someone that will encourage them here today. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's a blessing to be with you here this morning. I want to, before we get started, update you on a couple of things. Those of you that have prayed much for us this week, I appreciate that uh, so much. Our uh, foster child had to have emergency uh, brain surgery last night, and that's uh, been a lot going on there. But uh, I thank, uh, I know he's here somewhere, those of you that have been so instrumental in supporting us uh, during this time, and it's just amazing. You know, those of you that have been around this church for a while know that foster care and adoption is a big part of the ministry of this church, and um, I've been honest that that was something that I knew was right, and my heart needed a little bit of like, all right, no, you really do need to do this by uh, some wonderful people in this church. And now that we have a child in our home, it's just crazy how you can grow to love a child so quickly that is not your own child. And so uh, it seems that the surgery was uh, successful last night, and we praise God for that. It was something that was uh, sort of like a like the bad Geico commercial, if you've seen it, where the doctor comes in and says, I'm pretty sure this is going to be successful. And they, they look at each other and say, like, what, what is that supposed to mean? But the, what happened last night was something that they do the best they can, and that is what it is, but uh, he hit the mark exactly where it needed to be uh, and relieved the pressure on her brain, and we just pray for a full cognitive return for her. So thank you all for your prayers. This church is amazing uh, how you've all come around us. That's a part of the body of Christ, the, the purpose of the church. Yes, is all the things that we do and glorifying the Lord and learning about him. As I was just talking with two brothers this morning about the development of the soul. Your body grows, your mind grows, but there is development of the soul. Don't, don't assume that you're where you need to be in your soul. Your soul grows as you come to know Christ, and we help each other in that. And this church is just a terrific blessing to me, and I know to each other, if you haven't found your place in this church yet, dive in. Get to know the people that are here. Pray for them. Reach out to people that you don't know. Get to know their names and be a blessing to each other as we serve and we love each other in the name of Christ Jesus. 
on in a sort of administrative note, but otherwise, uh, I need to address it here from the pulpit. I, I'm so thankful for what God is doing in this church by His Spirit. Uh, we are very full uh, week after week. So full that we had a visit from the fire marshal this past week, which was uh, exciting. But thankfully, the second in command of the fire department goes to this church. So that helps uh, offset things. But... <clears throat> Yeah, that's right. Uh, everything we need is right in this place, but the bottom line is that we can't add any more chairs in this church. And so uh, we have, as it's set out now, 260 chairs. Uh, we can add some in the little like carpet area over there, but they can't block the entry and exit. We need to be able to safely get in and out of this church. And people that are in a wheelchair need to be able to get through the church and to the restroom and back without being blocked by someone. And so this is the way it's going to be. Like, this is what we got. And so uh, do the best that you can to be mindful that when you sit down, you don't sit on the end and leave five chairs in the middle to where people can't get to it. Uh, Be courageous and sit on the front row. I know it's scary, but these chairs over here are always empty, and usually only our young men have the courage to sit on the front row. But do that so that people that come in late don't have to go all the way across the auditorium and sit down front, and that's always exciting. Um, I'm going to hopefully record a video, put it on our site this week about what's happening with the building uh, and the design program. It's encouraging. Uh, I just want to include you in that so you understand what's going on. But no matter how you slice it, it's going to be some time before anything is built. So we'll give thanks for what's happening here, and we're going to do the very best we can to fill uh, all the seats so that people that want to be here can, can be here. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Continuing on about submission to authority, Uh, I will get as far as I can this morning and then we will continue on with this passage next week. It began with submission to governing authorities, uh, and we're going to talk today about the governing authority of, of masters, which transitions very quickly to unjust suffering and how we ought to follow in the example of Christ. And then we'll talk about authority in the home. Uh, and the husband-wife relationship uh, next week and possibly the week after that. Um, this is an important passage. Uh, Justin, Pastor Justin spoke to us last week sort of summing up these things. If you haven't heard that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It was a wonderful message by him. Please stand to honor the Lord as we read his word this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So our passage today begins in verse 18 with servants. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect. 
Words matter in the Bible. We believe in this church and the plenary verbal inspiration of the scripture, meaning that the words of the scriptures are particularly chosen and inspired by God and that each word matters. And it's not by accident that the New Testament is written in Greek. And Greek is the most specific language ever devised by humankind to be able to convey all kinds of very particular meaning. And sometimes the particular meanings of words in Greek are possible to translate into English because there's just not an equivalent word. And so there's a back and forth with the translation of this word. Some of your translations will say slave. The English Standard Version says servant. Uh, The word is oikates, which more than likely refers to a household servant, but it's translated as servant and not slave in the English Standard Version, which I use here from the pulpit. To avoid association with 19th century American chattel slavery. This period in our history, which was a horrible abuse of black people, is not the same uh, slavery as being spoken of here in first century Rome that Peter is speaking of. So I'm going to read a section from a commentary by Wayne Grudem, an excellent and careful Bible commentator as to this word and what it is referring to. Although mistreatment of slaves could occur then too, it must be remembered that first century slaves were generally well treated and were not only unskilled laborers, but often managers, overseers, and trained members of various professions, doctors, nurses, teachers, musicians, skilled artisans. There was extensive Roman legislation regulating the treatment of slaves. They were normally paid for their services and could expect eventually to purchase their freedom. Nevertheless, their service was involuntary. In early Roman history, slaves had been acquired through war or kidnapping from foreign lands. But by the first century, most slaves had simply been born into slave households. Their legal status, social standing, and opportunity for economic independence were clearly lower than others in Roman society. So a word stronger than servant but weaker than slave is needed, something meaning semi-permanent employee without legal or economic freedom. Although servant uh, comes the closest, no single English word is adequate, perhaps because no comparable institution exists in modern Western society. I hope that is helpful to you to a certain extent. We don't have the same institutions. And understanding the Bible partly relates to understanding history and the historical context in which the words that were used were used. And so when it says slave for Peter, we think 19th century American slavery, but that's not what he was writing about and that's not what he was referring to. And so it's wrong to use this passage, as some have, to support and uphold what happened uh, in 19th century America. Really, there is no direct application to what Peter is saying here of subject, the subject nature of servants to masters, because that doesn't exist in our society today as it existed then. And so there was application then, but it's probably why the Spirit led Peter to to shift away from that and to bring application from what was happening in that time to a much greater subject, which is unjust suffering. So just like then and now, there is constant unjust suffering. So in that day, there were good masters and there were unjust and evil masters. There were those who did well and those who did badly. And the passage transitions to focusing on unjust 
suffering. Peter follows a very logical progression throughout this passage. And I'm just going to walk us through the progression of how he works through the thinking of a person suffering and then a person suffering unjustly and how that relates to Christ. And I'll help you to understand what is happening here. The first is being mindful of God. In verse 19 in all of this, he says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. In all of our life, we should be mindful of God. We can easily forget the reality of God in our life. Our lives are full of all kinds of things, whether it's work or sports or you know, well, I don't know what all is taking up your life, but I'm sure it's something. And it presses out being mindful of God. Our hearts tend to want to work things out ourselves and not work them out in light of who God is and in light of the truth of his word and in light of ultimate things that are happening. And so we should be mindful not to take matters into our own hands and not to ignore the reality of God as we walk through and live our lives. And so in light of being mindful of God, Peter brings a contrast between just and unjust suffering. Just suffering is hardship that you bring on your own self by your own sin or your own foolishness, or your own selfishness. And if you're honest in looking at the situation, you caused it yourself, or you had a major hand in causing it. And if you are suffering in some way because of something that you yourself did and brought upon yourself, that's called just suffering. And that's not what Peter is talking about here. And there is no righteousness in just suffering. There is no credit in suffering for something that you brought on yourself as a penalty for your own sins. And so I think it's important in looking at the issues of our life and parsing out things as Peter is doing here, that we honestly look at the times of our lives when we're going through hardship. And we honestly look at ourselves and say, did I re- did I ca- am I the cause of this? Like, did I do this? Because uh, a lot of times, you know, people struggle with looking honestly at themselves and saying, you know what, I'm really the problem here. I'm the one that needs to be more patient. I'm the one that needs to be more honest. I'm the one that needs to be less selfish. All of those types of things. But we have to get past that first. And we know that sometimes it's going to be that way and sometimes it's not going to be that way. Sometimes the suffering in your life will be unjust meaning you lived the way that you should. You said what you should have. You were the man or woman that you should be before God. And despite the righteousness of your life, you are still suffering or are being punished for something that is unjust, something that you did not bring on yourself, something that you did not deserve. And we are pressed in verse 20 or talked, uh, encouraged in verse 20, for what credit is it if when you sin, you are beaten for it and you endure, but... If when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So if we do something righteous and are punished or suffer for that in some way, and then we endure through it, and we continue with an attitude of hope and blessing, that the Lord is mindful of this, and he sees us and is gracious toward us. Now, when we go through unjust suffering, We can come out the other side of it and look basically the same, but have a heart that's full of bitterness and anger. And every one of us knows what that's like. You you, you go through it and you come out the other side of it and 
you still basically have the same smile on your face and you're still going through your day basically the same way that you were, but you are plotting vengeance in your heart. And your heart is angry towards the person that did you wrong. And you're looking for how it is that you might get back at them. And that is not what Peter is talking about here. The attitude of Christ in us, which is where Peter is going with this, is that enduring with an attitude of hope and peace and then even love towards those who act unjustly towards you is what Peter is aiming at. Because the world is caught in a cycle of vengeance. When people do you wrong, you go back and do them even worse. And you, you're not going to do that to me. I'm going to show you what's going on if you come at me. I'm going to come at you harder. And this is where we are not to be with Christ. Because one day, every one of us will stand before the judgment seat of God. And when we get caught in a cycle of vengeance and anger with other people justifying our ungodliness before them, we will one day have to give an account before God. And if you stand before God with your fist shaking and your anger for all the injustice that's come upon you in your life, there will be no uh, way of undoing that. There will be no vengeance upon God. Instead, there will be just judgment and there will be damnation. And so our role, our hope with our enemies is not to exact vengeance upon them, but by the work of God in our heart, be able to love them and speak to them about the gospel, that the cycle of anger might be broken, and that this person, instead of coming back at us, might hear something of the gospel, and that they might be forgiven of their sins, that they might come to salvation, and where there was war, that there might be peace, and where the two people were unreconciled to each other by the work of Christ Jesus, that they might be reconciled to one another. And this is the work of the gospel. And this is something that only God can accomplish in our hearts, and part of it is accomplished through unjust suffering. Verse 21 is not something that we hear often, but we need to hear. It needs to register with us. Verse 21 says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. You need to hear this morning that as Christians, we have been called to unjust suffering. Unjust suffering, suffering that you don't deserve, is going to be a part of your life because it's a part of God's plan for your life. It's a part of the way that God is going to shape your soul is through suffering in an unjust way. And you might say, why? Like, why, why, I don't, that's not something that I'm looking for. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not praying for that. I'm not hoping for that. So why would God bring this into our life? And the basic reason given to us here is because it is the way in which Christ Jesus lived. He suffered unjustly in his life and we are his disciples and we walk in his path. We walk in his ways and we follow in his steps and we will never live a life that is above him or out of step with the way that he lived. The, the, the pinnacle of unjust suffering for Christ Jesus was the suffering upon the cross for you and for I, bearing the penalty of our sins in his own body, which is where Peter is going in this passage. But he is leaving for us an example, it says. Let's see. Verse 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. 
Some people wrongly uh, interpret this passage as the, the cross of Christ only being a moral example. That what Christ did on the cross is just an example of sacrificial love. Well, it is that. It's much more than that, which Peter's going to get to and I'll get to here in a moment. But it is at least that. It is an example. The example of Christ is a lived out example of sacrificial service for those that he loved even up to his enemies. And we are to follow in that example. As it says here, we're to follow in his steps. Paul talks about this because the abstract things of Christianity can become very, very difficult and we can lose sight of them. And Paul encouraged those that heard him in his ministry. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. So if you're not sure what it looks like to be a Christian, I'm not perfect, but Paul said, look at me and I'll show you something of what it means to follow Christ. And we're going to go after him together. And so the primary thing I would encourage you in this way is to read the Gospels. I'm always encouraging you to read the Bible, but in reading your Bible, always come back to the Gospels and then go somewhere else and then come back to the Gospels. Always be reading about the life and the words and the works of Jesus Christ because you will forget how he is so quickly. You'll think, no, this is the way I need to handle this situation. And then you'll go and read the Bible and you read about Jesus and you'll say, oh man, I am like, I am so far off. Like, how could I ever act like that if people treated me like that? And it puts you on your knees and it makes you a prayerful person and it makes you ask God to help you by his spirit to be the person that you ought to be in love. Because people spoke badly of Jesus, even though he did good. And when people speak badly of you, realize that they, speak badly, they spoke badly of Jesus first. When people gossip about you, slander you, work to destroy your name, even though you have done nothing to deserve this, understand that they did this to Jesus first. They called him demon-possessed. He's a crazy person to his face publicly. When people steal from you, when people lie about you, when people betray you, understand that they did all these things to Jesus first. And he bore them up with love in his heart and compassion for the lost. Jesus was beaten, he was abused, he was put to death. All these things out of a great love for the lost. And in all these things, his mouth was shut as a lamb taken to the slaughter, never fighting back for himself. His apostles were imprisoned in jail for nothing that they had done, only for speaking the gospel of Christ Jesus. And so when we see these things happening in our lives, it's important that we see that they happened first in the life of Christ and that we are following after his example and how it was that he was persecuted and we are following in his steps. I'm going to read to you from John chapter 15 and uh, the later ministry of Christ. He says this, John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as it loves its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours." 
So Jesus is reminding his disciples that the spirit, the heart of a Christian is counter to the direction of this world. Jesus is calling us not to join in with the world and go the same way as the world, but live a completely countercultural life, to go in a different direction. And the way of Christ is a way of peace and a way of love and a way of mercy. And his direction is different and his direction will cause us to be persecuted by this world. They will not love us because they did not love Christ. And when we associate ourselves with Jesus, we are associating ourselves with Christ as a suffering servant. And he reminds them of the words he just said to them in John chapter 13, which was the same night, the same event. But when he washed all their feet and he got down there in this lowly place, washing dirty feet as a servant and reminds them, I have called you to be servants and you will not be greater than me. And I'm down here washing your feet, showing you how low in service I am willing to get to you. And you as my followers will follow in this same heart of service. This heart of lowliness, which is the heart of Christ Jesus. Remember, a servant is not greater than his master. So in that Christ suffered, we also will suffer. Even though he lived in perfect righteousness, he suffered. And it was always unjust suffering. And in the same way, you and I will walk in his steps. We are called to a life that, like Jesus, will include unjust suffering. We can rejoice in this. As James chapter 1 reminds us that we should count it all joy when we go through various trials and struggles. Because when we go through those trials, the Lord Jesus will come alongside us and near us. Those of you that have been through great struggles with the Lord in your life, I, I would bet, because they certainly are in my life, those are, the, those are the sweetest times. The times where the Lord comes the most near to us. And we sense his presence the most. We feel the love of his church the most because we are going through a time where we ourselves are needy. And when we are weak, he is strong. Well, let us not forget that he himself has walked this path before us. Verse 22, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. This is an emphasis of the innocence of Jesus, that his suffering was in fact an unjust suffering as these categories are laid out. This is repeated over and over in the Gospels. At his trial that I find no guilt in this man, even an unjust judge who eventually sends him to the cross realizes that he's sending an innocent man to the cross, but he does it for political and self-serving reasons. When he was reviled, verse 23, he did not revile, he did not return with reviling. Verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. This speaks directly to the cycle of vengeance. Our world has always been eat up with the cycle of vengeance. And Jesus would not enter into that cycle. When he was reviled, he did not return it with reviling. When he was despised, he did not return with threatenings. Instead, he was a suffering servant. Jesus never counterattacked. Jesus never demanded his rights. Jesus never threatened those that were around him. Instead, it says that he continued to entrust himself to God. It says specifically, he continued entrusting, which means he didn't do it just once. Every time things got hard, in the humanity of Jesus, he had to go back and entrust himself to God again, which in my understanding means what it means to me. God help me 
not to yell at this person. God, help me not to punch this person in the face. God, help me to not be bitter with this person. God, help me not to hate this person that I want to hate. But I'm entrusting myself to you and I'm asking you to change my heart where I cannot change my heart. I need you to give me love for a person that I don't want to love. And when it comes to justice, this verse specifically points us to a theme we see over and over in the Bible that justice ultimately belongs to God. There are structures of governmental justice, but we know that no matter what government has and what justice system it may have, they're always flawed and they're always imperfect. There is only one final just judge, and that is Christ Jesus the Lord, because he himself is perfect in his person and in his judgments. And so the scriptures tell us very clearly that God will be the final judge. And when we entrust ourselves to God, we are entrusting that he will make the final judgment and that we are going to take on the role of evangelist and we are going to seek after the soul of this person and we're going to let God judge what is evil. It begins in Deuteronomy 32:35. It's quoted again in Romans 12:19, but the clearest uh, rendering of this is in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 30 and 31 says this, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The Lord God will judge and his judgment will be perfect. But that is for him to render. Our role is not to enact judgment on the people that are around us. Our role is to speak to them of the grace and mercy of Christ Jesus, that they might not have to face the penalty for their sins, that they might find the same thing that you and I have found, which is the grace of Christ Jesus upon us to forgive our sins and to change our hearts and to make us new. And so when we see the suffering of Christ, it will encourage us to take up this, this, this manner of living. Isaiah and the prophets of old found the same thing to be true. They were prophets that spoke to the people about the work of the Lord, calling them to repentance. But the people then were wicked. They were just hard-hearted in their wickedness, and they would not repent of their wickedness. But Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all these prophets are entrusting themselves to God in this same way, entrusting that God will judge, and he did judge. And I think it's important for us to see this, that the nation of Israel was told over and over and over that they would be judged for their sins, but they continued on in the hardness and the wickedness of their heart. Isaiah did not feel like he needed to take this judgment into his own hands and be the, the method of judgment. He entrusted these things to God, but he spoke to the people very clearly about what was going to come and what did come. And so I want to read to you a little bit about this. This is from Isaiah chapter 3, verses 13 through 4, 1, speaking about the judgment that was to come and did in fact come. And speaking about the Lord God as a just judge. The Lord has taken his place to contend. He stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and the princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. The Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty 
and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will strike with a scab in the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. In that the day of the Lord will take away the finery of the ankles, the headbands, the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, the amulets, the signet rings, the nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, the headbands, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness. Instead of a belt, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth. And branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle. And her gates shall lament and mourn. Empty she shall sit on the ground. And seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Only let us be called by your name and take away our reproach. It's speaking of the judgment of the Lord that was to come and did come. And my purpose in reading this passage this morning is to help you understand that there will be another judgment. And that judgment day will come and God will judge perfectly on that day. Now is the time for mercy. Now is the time of repentance. And now is a time of grace where the Lord is willing to forgive the sins of all those who will turn and confess their sins and believe in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so let us not be like the people of this world, caught up in cycles of vengeance, wanting to be harder and worse to those around us than they were to us. Let us be a different people, a people not of this world, a people of mercy and grace that follow in the steps of Christ. He who, as it says in verse 24, bore our sins in his own body. What does it mean that Christ bore our sins in his own body on the cross? It means that God the Father counted our sins against Jesus. He who was perfect, he who had no sin of his own, our sins were thought of as belonging to him. Isaiah 53, 6 says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or in 2 Corinthians, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So him, he who had no sin, was counted as sin on our behalf. And so in one way it was a great injustice, but it was not an injustice because it was chosen by Christ and it was done by love. It was the purposes of God for our salvation, that Christ was punished, that we might go free. This would be a great injustice, but let us never forget the love of Christ. Christ, our substitute, the one for the many, that we might be forgiven of our sins. Verse 24, the second half. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Christ bore our sins in his own body, not that we might be shown grace so that we could continue on in sin, continuing on in the old ways that we lived, but he bore our sins in his own body that we might live in a different way, that we might live to righteousness. 
that we might go in a different way in this world. The crazy part about this passage is as we live for righteousness' sake, we can expect the world to hate that and cause suffering in our life, but yet it is a path of blessing. There's a lot to think about here, folks. I realize that. I realize this is not a simple thing to wrap your mind around. But Romans chapter 6 is very clear about this. What should we do? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. We should live for righteousness' sake, living for the Lord. This is what God has called for us to do. This is the example that he has set. And by his wounds, we have been given a new way of life. We have been healed of our sins. There's more to say here. Um, I'm going to continue with this next week. This sort of lays out what is here. And there's a million questions rolling around in your minds here of the nuances of how does this work out? Like, what exactly does this mean, Pastor Vic? I can't answer all those questions for you, but I can't answer some of those questions. So we're going to continue on in this next week in looking at this more, but it's now time for baptism. So let me pray for us uh, and just commend ourselves to the Lord in this manner. Lord Jesus, thank you for this passage. Thank you for your great merciful love for us. We thank you for your perfect life, the innocent and fully righteous life of Christ lived for us. As an example, Lord, help us to follow in your steps. Lord, every day, every week that we go through life, we encounter new situations and we say, man, I I just don't know what to do here. I'm not sure what I should do with this. But Lord, help us. The clarifying part of this passage is that we will suffer unjustly. Lord, help us not to be surprised by this. Help us to look back and see your suffering and the way you suffered and help us to live like you in some way. Lord, help us not to be a people of anger and vengeance and bitterness. By the work of your spirit, help us to love those who are even our enemies. Help us to love earnestly from the heart those that do not know you and are bound up by their sins and death. Those that will face judgment for their sins one day, Lord, help us to speak to them about the grace of Christ that they might be saved. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are entering into a time of baptism now this morning. I'm excited to baptize uh, William Turner this morning. Before William comes up, I want to say a little bit about baptism. Uh, Baptism does not forgive our sins. Baptism is something that is symbolic, and it is an act of obedience.